Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in St. Louis, Missouri, it's time for St. Louis Business Radio. Now, here's your host. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Doc's Discussions. My name is Dr. Philip Hearn, and you are listening to St. Louis Business Radio X. So I always enjoy the different guests that we're able to get to hang out with me, talk a bit about what they do, their business, their strategies. And today's episode is no different. So I've got with me the chief content officer and co-founder for Advisor Circle, John Swolfs. John, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you for, for having me. Excited to, to be joining you today and really looking forward to our conversation. I am as well. I've been looking forward to this. So thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us. So I always like to get a background. We, we know where you are, and we'll talk a bit more about that in the discussion. But tell me more about your background and your upbringing. How did, how did we get to the John of today? What does that look like? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a great question and probably a, a super long question. So um, there, there's a couple different ways to, to tackle that. Um, you know, probably first and foremost, I, I grew up outside of New York City um, in Westchester, Stayed in New York, um, you know, through through college, went to, to SUNY Albany, where I, I studied history uh, with a minor in education, kind of had a thinking that that maybe I wanted to be a, a teacher. My mom was a teacher for, you know, 30 plus years, the New York school system. Um, so that was sort of the, the direction that I had traveled. Um, but through that, uh, I've always been a huge baseball fan, whether that was playing the game, whether that was, you know, uh, working in and around the game. So I, I decided that after college, I wanted to try to become a professional umpire. Um, so I went down to a school down in Florida, the Harry Wendelstadt School of Umpiring, um, wow. took, took the six-week course that they have down there. Um, about 180 folks go down to it. They select about the, the top 20, 15 to 20 or so folks, and then you go on to, to another level. Um, I, unfortunately, was not selected um, while I was down there, so I, I didn't get kind of through that, that first round. Uh, but my my love of baseball and wanting to to be a part of the game um, never um, diminished. So uh, come back up from Florida and figure out how I can, can work in baseball. And uh, was lucky enough to have a, a family connection um, that knew the Wilpons, who, who at the time were the the current owners uh, of the New York Mets, and they had a minor league team out in Brooklyn. Um, they said, "Hey, throw your you know resume into the pile with everybody else. They're they're getting ready to do their seasonal hiring." I was lucky enough to, to get selected and worked um, a season out um, in Coney Island for the uh, Brooklyn Cyclones. And while I was there, I just sort of asked the general manager of that squad, like, hey, how do you stay involved in baseball? They said, you got to go down to the winter meetings. Uh, I went to the winter meetings um, and then just through, you know, general connections with the Mets and stuff. They have a, um, their spring training facilities in Port St. Lucie. The general manager of Brooklyn was close friends with the general manager in Port St. Lucie. He thought I'd be a good fit for that job. Went down and, and worked for a, a year for the Mets in, in Port St. Lucie, um, doing everything literally from, you know, selling outfield signs um, to writing game day agendas to, to wearing the mascot suit um, for, for <laughs> Slider the dog, uh, driving players to the airport. So you really get this amazing exposure to how businesses run and all of the things that, that goes into to trying to make um, an operation, you know, look like it's running smoothly um, to the public. Um, when behind the scenes, you know, you, you, I forgot to hire a game day staff that day to wear the mascot suit. So so now I'm wearing the mascot suit um, <laughs> and those sort of things. So, um, you know, from there, I, I then, you know, I, I did that for a year. Long story short, my now wife was in New Jersey. I was down in Florida. 
uh, long distance relationship just felt like it was more important for me to be uh, back up in the tri-state area. So I went back up, uh, moved to, to New Jersey and started working in uh, Merrill Lynch's um, financial advisory center in Pennington, um, New Jersey. And then from there, you know, did like a, a year or two in the call center and then went on to the internal wholesaling job with, with iShares and, and, and BGI and then BlackRock. And from there, um, I joined Index Universe in 2012. Um, where I started writing agendas, writing content, being involved in events. And, you know, 10 years later, here I am a co-founder uh, uh, of Advisor Circle, one of the leading events uh, businesses in the industry, um, creating, you know, awesome types of events with Future Proof. We helped create the exchange event that ran um, in February of 2023, a couple of weeks ago, as well as the inaugural one um, in April of 2022. So long story short, yeah, I started off in, in baseball and now I'm, uh, you know, creating uh, events for financial advisors. So you can see the direct line uh, and how one would end up here. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a complete direct line, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm surprised more people aren't on the path. Yeah. I mean, what are they doing? I feel like they're being slackers, not teasing. So I did read up about you looking to become a major league. I'm kind of geeking out. So when I was in high school and college, I was an umpire. So I've heard of that uh, actual school that you talk about, the Harry Wendelstadt School. Uh, what? Take me a little bit. Let's go back a step. Take me a little sure. bit through that experience itself. How did you know you wanted to be an ump? I know you said you had a love for baseball, but most people, when they say they have a love for baseball, they're going, hey, I want to be a pitcher, a center fielder, a shortstop. Not, I want to be the guy behind the plate or calling at the bases. What? Take me through how you got to that particular point. Yeah, so I'll paint a picture for for your audience. So, so those that that you know are unable to see me, um, I'm closer to to five eight than I am to to six two. So one, the the physical size there to play any and all of those positions um, you mentioned wasn't there. So after about sophomore year of high school, um, I sort of realized like, hey, you're probably not going to be able to to play this sport sort of professionally. Um, and, and from there, I just wanted to figure out how I sort of stayed involved with the game. Um, and, and through that, it, it just kind of became like, hey, what's something you can do? And uh, umpiring was something that that became of interest to me. I started doing um, high school games. I started doing college games. I started doing, you know, summer wood bat um, men's and college games, which were, were really exciting. Um, and I felt that, one, I, I was decent at it. And, and two, um, I enjoyed it. And I, and I didn't mind being out there. Um, obviously, it does come with a little bit of grief, as we all know. You know, you're always making 50% of the people upset. 50% of the people are happy with you. But but once you can move on from, from that and not really worry about it, um, the more you do it, it just becomes sort of second nature and, and reflexive. And, and that's what I really liked about it when I got to that point. Um, but really doing more of the, the sophisticated, you know, um, college games. It, it, they're quick. It's well-played baseball. and It's a lot of fun. Um, and that's sort of what kind of cemented my interest to want to continue to do it um, and try to do it professionally. That's amazing. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I, and you, I want to hear about your 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 stories there. Uh, you know, what, what made you give it up or, or stop? Maybe you still do it. No. So I, I gave it up uh, right after college myself, but I enjoyed it. It was fun. Uh, so it was one of the, the summer jobs that I had uh, when I turned 14. So you could be young enough to still be an umpire and uh, an umpire game. So I've umpired everything from uh, preschool games all the way through uh, like freshman, you know, fall ball type games. So yeah. I enjoyed the process. I was still playing even during that time in high school. Uh, but again, I'm I'm a big sports nut, so that was that was an easy job for me. And they and and they paid me, so I went, oh okay, I get paid 
to talk and coach, you know, and, and umpire baseball, excuse me. So I was like, this is a no brainer. Let's do it. So, Absolutely. yeah, but you're right. That 50% piece is 100% correct. You're going to make someone mad. So it's almost like you got a full crash course on conflict resolution, right? Because someone was upset at almost every call that you made. So, yeah, it was uh, it was definitely interesting to say the least. So, so what all did you learn when when you look at baseball? And again, you have a natural love for it, right? So, growing up in the New York area, you're a Mets fan, not a, a Mets fan, not a Yankee fan. So, I did pick no, that I'm up. No, I'm a Yankee right? fan. I let that be known. I'm a Yankee fan. I think that's what made it easier to work in baseball. Um, okay, for the Mets and not being a fan of the team. Now, I support the Mets, having worked there and that sort of stuff, and, and I do like the organization. Um, but, you know, certainly if they were on the field playing each other, I would be, you know, pulling for the Yankees, you know, wholeheartedly. Okay. All right. So, see, that, that's interesting because you might be one of the only folks in the tri-state area that, that likes the Mets but still can root for the Yankees. So, with all of your experiences in baseball, how did you take what you learned and that and, – and you talked about that experience at Port St. Lucie where you've been everything from the game day staff to the mascot, which – I'm going to need pictures for that. I'm just saying. We're going to have to, we're going to, have to keep those I don't know if there's going. any more slide of the dog pictures. And, and besides, I'd be behind the, the, the mask, so you'd never know. But uh, we'll see if we can dig something up for you. Yeah, just, just to say we knew somebody in the suit, right? Yeah, very true. <laughs> so what, what did you take from all of those experiences being basically in every position, working with that, uh, that minor league team with the Mets? How did you translate that into um, – your passions and your focuses when you talk about business. Yeah, absolutely. So I think there's a, a couple things that you can take away from it. Um, one is sort of the the humbling nature of it, right? That, mm-hmm. you know, the no matter what the job is or, or what the role is, if you do it and do it well, it's, it's helping the organization and, and it's helping to advance things. So, you know, don't think that you're ever above any sort of job um, that, that may be offered. I mean, some of the jobs are, are super fun. Like, you know, getting to go and, you know, drive a player to the airport, that, that's a lot of fun because you're talking to, you know, a professional baseball player, um, you know, taking some of the guys to the local elementary schools and those sort of things. That That's a lot of fun um, to do those sort of things. But then, you know, having to, to do some of the stuff behind the scenes where, you know, a game starts at seven o'clock at night. We worked a typical nine to five and then between five to seven, we got ready for the game. So you understand it's a really long day. Um, so you, you really hone in on your work ethic. It's something that you like to do. Um, so it doesn't always feel like work, even though you're, you're tired and exhausted. So there was that element that I really um, kind of as a first job out of um, college was super long hours. So it helped establish a, a pretty strong work ethic uh, from that standpoint. So, you know, in business, anything that you're doing, uh, it's going to take time, effort and energy. So you better be committed to that grind. Um, if you're not, it's going to show. Um, so that was something that you definitely saw. And you saw it even like in taking inspiration from the players that you saw coming in at, you know, nine o'clock in the morning to, to work out and be around and at the field, knowing they didn't have a game till till seven o'clock and what they were doing to grind to try to be a, a professional. You see that, you know, at, at every level, no matter what you're doing, that, that you have to you have to work hard. So there, there's the humility part um, to it. The other thing is, is that I learned from it is like, be excited about what you're doing as well, right? So you can be humble about it, but, you know, be excited, be be a cheerleader for your own team, be a cheerleader and, and try to get folks into the stands. Try to make sure that the folks are, are having a great time while you're you're there. And then the other thing that you take away from that is, is like the little things matter. So if you can help a, a fan out that might be having a, a rough moment or something didn't go their way and you can solve 
their problem, no matter how big or small it is, it feels like the world to them. Um, and, and you'd be surprised, you know, like somebody's having a bad experience or they thought they were supposed to have tickets here and they're not together and, and you saw that, you know, you'll see them three weeks later at the game and they'll come up and say, hi, how you doing? Thank you again for that and those sort of things. So you understand that, you know, customer service really matters. You understand that if you treat every person um, and every individual as if their problem right there is the most important thing for you, they feel that. So those were kind of the, the three things that I really learned um, in being down in baseball and working there. And the other one is that it rains every day at about four o'clock in Florida. Um, so you better get ready to run out in the field and, and pull the tarp on uh, to, to the field before it floods, um, which is never my favorite because it had like snakes and mice and stuff all wrapped up in it. And that stuff is, is not for me, but um, that's part of doing the, the roles and jobs that you may not be all that excited for, but uh, you know, you just got to get out there and do it because that, that's what the, the job requires. So yeah, a lot, a lot of different things, but uh, most of it is, you know, very core business, basic things and a lot of attitude as well. Absolutely. And I love the humility and the customer service aspects that you talk about too. I think a lot of people, again, would just hear that you worked in baseball, but you were in all the inner workings, including and, and, and not, uh, not excluding pulling out the tarp, right? So yeah. yeah, I, I don't, I don't, if it's got snakes and all that stuff in there, I think I'm out too. I think it'd be cool to pull out the tarp once just to say I've done it, but. Yeah, I'm with you. If it's if it's got all that in there, I'm out. I'm good. I'd rather yeah, not. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> it does. It does teach you a lot. Um, and, and what you really learn is, is minor league baseball um, is nothing like the the big leagues and that sort of stuff. Like we had a, a permanent staff of maybe six to seven people, and then we brought in like you know twenty plus workers to kind of help us get through uh, the games to like take tickets and, and do those sort of things and be ushers. Um, and that sort of stuff. But it really was about six or seven of us that were, were doing a lot of the, you know, the heavy lifting to, to make sure that everything ran the, the way that it was supposed to, uh, which was, you know, at times, you know, very trying and at times um, an, an amazing experience. Um, I guess the one other takeaway I'd have from it is I think, you know, after doing a season in Brooklyn and then a year in Port St. Lucie, um, to me, I think I realized that, hey, if I wasn't going to be on the field, I'd rather be in the seats. Um, and watching the game and being a fan of the game. And I think that's really important as well um, because you don't want to get stuck doing things um, that you might not enjoy because then those little customer complaints feel like they're a nuisance to you and you don't want to tackle them with the same zeal, energy, and smile um, that you would. So it's not one of those like, hey, hang on to your dreams type of thing and it'll come true. To me, it was more like, Hey, I think this is this has had its run, and and I enjoyed this quite a bit. But you know, the woman I'm in love with is you know you know 1,800 miles away up in New Jersey, and I just think you know this has run its course type of stuff. And I don't know that that's necessarily a business lesson, but it was a very good life lesson for me as well. Well, I think that's important though too. I mean, if if you're losing the zeal, for, uh, the zest for something, and the zeal as you mentioned. Getting out of it when you understand that, I think, is an extremely important piece. One that I would say a lot of folks maybe miss that that opportunity or almost that calling to move to the next thing, right? Um, so I think that's extremely important. So I'm really glad you shared that. So you make the transition from baseball. Now you head more into uh, fiscally focused jobs, right? So you yes. talked about your time at BlackRock. Uh, uh, you talked about your time at Inside ETF. Tell us a little bit more about that transition, what that looked like, and what were some of those uh, learning processes after leaving the baseball room. 
Yeah, absolutely. So the first job I, I landed was with um, Merrill Lynch in the, their financial advisory center. Um, and that was just a huge education in sort of understanding, you know, stocks, bonds, commodities, ETFs, an asset allocation, um, you know, understanding is we'd be taking calls from, from inbound um, clients who, who typically, you know, may have been, you know, with an advisor in a branch that, you know, wasn't quite the size that the advisor should be focusing on anymore. Um, so one, you had to learn to kind of ask the right questions, sort of understand what their goals, their objectives were. So I think I got a bit of a crash course in sort of what it was like to, to be a financial advisor without having to, you know, go out there and, and try and grow my own book, um, but certainly understand a lot of those, those challenges. So what I learned there, again, was one, that kind of core investment, you know, time horizon, outside assets, risk tolerance, all of those sort of things. Um, and what was really interesting is that when I went over to, to iShares in an internal wholesaling position, you know, I was sort of able to put my shoes very much into the or put myself in the shoes of the advisor um, that I was talking to on the phone and understanding some of the challenges that they may have had in their their business. And in 2007, when you're talking to an advisor with, you know, 25 years of experience and you're telling them sell out of your mutual funds and buy ETFs, you know, they're, they're laughing you off the phone saying, John, you're, you're probably younger than my business is old right now. I put my kids through college. What are you going to tell me about investing? And, you know, here we sit 15 years later and, you know, ETFs are, are gathering assets at record paces every single year outdoing mutual funds. So it was really cool um, to be on the innovative side uh, of finance as well and sort of leading the charge um, for, for what is, a you know, to, to some extent, in my opinion, my opinion, my view, just a more efficient um, and, and better way to be invested in, in an ETF um, in general. So that was really interesting. And then you just learn again, like, hey, I covered advisors in the wirehouse in New York City. Then I had an opportunity to move to San Francisco and cover RIAs and understand that those worlds are, are completely different. So that when I got the opportunity to sit in the seat that I am now, um, whether that have been, you know, back in the days at Inside ETFs or now with the um, Advisor Circle and creating the Future Proof event, is you can really understand the types of content and the types of challenges um, that those advisors have. And I think that's one of the things that really helps set Advisor Circle apart from other traditional events companies is we've had people that have come from the industry that have sat in those seats that understand the, those real life challenges that advisors are, are facing and want to provide real solutions um, rather than just create content. Yeah, that's uh, that's absolutely fantastic itself too. And and your unique experience of being in a full leadership position from the time from going from that's that crazy stretch of 2007 all the way to now and at that particular point being a VP and a C, CEO of inside ETFs. I mean, that that's an interesting step just because you got a chance to kind of re-experience what you did in baseball, it sounds like too, right? Um, in terms of really maximizing all the different components, you understood the business from soup to nuts by the time you got to uh, getting into advisor circle from what it sounds like to me. Yeah, absolutely. Certainly, um, you know, you know, everything from writing content to sourcing speakers to um, working with vendors to to everything that that you need to do um, in order to to bring an event to life. Um, I, I've had the opportunity to, you know, see all of that and experience that um, in, in numerous different ways. So uh, it did allow me to sit and, and have in the advisor circle hat that I have now um, and really have confidence in what we're doing and what we're trying to do. Um, and then part of that as a leader is understanding 
who are the right people to go out and, and support you to do those sort of things um, and making sure that you have um, the right team, the right people in place. And I think that, you know, far and away sometimes exceeds um, the knowledge that might be in one person's head because, you know, one person can only do so much, but a team can do a whole lot. Um, and I think that's one of the best things that we've been able to do um, at Advisor Circle is bringing people um, with a, a great set of experience, a great set of skills um, that know and understand our industry, as well as being able to complement those folks um, with the different skill sets that you need, whether that be on a creative side or whether that be on a sales side um, or whether that be on a logistical standpoint. Um, you know, we've been able to, to you know, add complementary pieces um, across the team over the past, you know, two plus years that we, we've been around now um, to get to a team of 12 um, that is, uh, you know, just one of the best teams in the industry that I could think of and excited to, to be working with those guys every day. That's amazing. I love it. So as you then talk about Advisor Circle, tell our listeners a bit more about the mission and the purpose of the company. I know you talked a bit about it through our conversation so far, but we really want to drill down on that and have a better understanding because it sounds like you guys are doing amazing work. Yeah, I think it, it, it can be really simplified. So one, we're, we're a product studio that's, you know, looking to humanize financial services. So, you know, what does that mean? It, it means that, you know, financial services for, for far too long sort of use the the oak desk and, and jargon to kind of keep a distance between themselves and uh, their clients and, and making sure that sometimes, whether it be advisors or whether it even be the, the traditional asset managers, that they kind of kept this seat of authority um, and we believe that, you know, the culture around finance is changing. It's tech driven. It's more inclusive. It is going in a more human direction. And we just want to bring out that that human connection, whether that be in how you interact at an event, whether that be how you um, speak at an event, whatever it might be. We want it to feel like it's part of your DNA, that it's not forced, and that we can help people make this human connection. So I know it probably sounds um, you know, a little like pie in the sky and that sort of stuff. But but you'd be surprised how quickly you can humanize something just by, you know, being your authentic self. And that's really um, what we're trying to do. And we just want to help financial services um, get there a little bit quicker. Absolutely. That's fantastic. So let me ask you the direct question. In your current position, so you're a co-founder, chief content officer, what motivates you in your current position and responsibilities? Yeah. So one, obviously, like I said, is the, the team that we have, right? Obviously, you know, when you're a leader, you feel that pressure to, to not want to let folks down and make sure that you're doing the, the best for the business and the best for them. So, so that's, that's motivating. Um, and then I do think that right now we're, we're in a seat where, you know, folks have seen that we were able to innovate and do something different. Um, so that motivation drives me to make sure that we continue to, to widen that moat, if you will, um, and continue to be the, the trendsetter, the te- tastemaker, um, those that the, the industry is looking to, to learn from and, and follow. And that's really, really motivating uh, for, from where I sit um, is, you know, you want to continue to make sure that you you hold your spot as, a, as an industry leader. Um, and that, that can really, really wear on you or it can really motivate you. And our team really has a way of using that to motivate ourselves um, and not let that be a barrier, but, but more of a motivation tool. That's fantastic. That's really cool. Again, it sounds like you guys have some great things going and something that's actually coming up is your next future proof event. Can you tell our listeners a bit more about it, the dates, what it all will entail? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, September 10th through the 13th, uh, we're in Huntington Beach, California. It's a beautiful setting. It's all outdoors. So we take over a half mile. Uh, of a parking lot right next to the the beautiful Pacific Ocean. 
and we build all of the facilities outside. So you have this uh, half mile boardwalk, if you will. Um, it's bright. It's colorful. Um, it's airy. It, it feels like you're at a festival, not at a, a B2B event. Um, so it allows folks to be again uh, the true authentic self. So you saw more people walking around in, in shorts and, and a golf shirt than you did in suits. Um, you saw people wearing, you know, hats of the college that they went to, um, you know, or teams that they might support that helped spark some conversation. Uh, we created a very open environment that, that led to people uh, wanting to share. So, again, it's September 10th through the 13th in Huntington Beach. You can register at futureproof.advisorcircle.com. Go ahead and get your ticket. But we continue to, to innovate um, each year. So I'm currently working on, you know, the set of speakers that we're going to have this year. Uh, we just closed our apply to speak window. Uh, we had over uh, 350 applications come in in about a month window. So I have won the um, unenviable task of, of going through all of those. <laughs> but I also have the amazing task of getting to see just how amazing our community is and just what great thought leaders that we have um, out there. Um, which is really exciting. I would say, and, and I don't want to do a commercial, but uh, we do have a price break that ends on Friday. So I think between now and Friday is the, the lowest uh, price ticket you have the opportunity to purchase. So I would suggest that folks go and, and take care of that right away um, and get themselves in. Our hotel block will sell out. We take over four hotels. They all face the Pacific Ocean. So they're they're all fantastic venues, but we did sell out last year. We expect to sell out this year. We'll probably have you know over 3,200 attendees uh, on site as well. So you're, you're going to want to act quick and get your, your ticket and your, your hotel room before the, they're all gone. That's awesome. No, that's great information. So it sounds like that block runs out, uh, or that pre ticket sale, excuse me, runs out on March 3rd. So here yes. just in a few days from this recording itself, correct? Absolutely. March 3rd. Yes. Awesome. Sounds good. Very good. So last question for you. And really thank you so much for your time. This has been a lot of fun. How do our listeners find you and connect with you? What are those ways that they can reach out and uh, and chat with you if they're interested in learning more about your organization and more about what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, there is uh, LinkedIn. You can just, you know, John Swolfs. You can find me there. Um, that's uh, S-W-O-L-F-S uh, for those that, that are looking for me. Same thing on Twitter, John Swolfs um, at Twitter. You, you can find me there. Um, you can find more about um, Advisor Circle at advisorcircle.com. Um, and you can certainly email us all from there. Um, and then again, if you go to futureproof.advisorcircle.com, if you have any questions around the content or anything that we're creating, um, there, there's email addresses there where you can reach out. Um, it comes directly to me. Like I said, we're, we're a smaller um, organization. So we we you know personally get involved in all of these sort of things. So that's a couple of different ways that, that folks can, can reach out to me. Um, happy to connect, you know, on LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, you know, I don't want to say all day, every day, but but a few times a day. So uh, it won't take long for me to get back to you. That's awesome. John, it's been a lot of fun to get to know more about you and uh, and your rise with uh, with working at Advisor Circle. So thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Oh, I appreciate it. And I guess one last thing I should mention, I might as well do a commercial while I'm here, uh, is this Wednesday at uh, 3 p.m. Eastern, we'll be doing a live Twitter Spaces, um, sharing updates uh, around Future Proof and just having a really great conversation and giving people a, an opportunity to see sort of some of the early results and sort of some of the things uh, we've been working on as we get to kind of that six-month-out uh, window from Future Proof. So 3 p.m. Eastern, um, it's a Twitter Spaces uh, hosted by Future Proof. Absolutely. Yeah. So listeners, definitely check that out this coming Wednesday, 3 p.m. on uh, Twitter Spaces. That sounds like it'll be a very good time. So thank you, John, for sharing. 
And this has been another episode of Doc's Discussions. I'm Dr. Philip Hearn. And from all of us at St. Louis Business Radio X, we appreciate it. And we'll see you next time. Thanks.